really it boils down to on a practical level from my perspective self-growth mm-hmm. self-awareness and choosing to act in line with what one considers to be their higher self right and to make that to define that in a practical sense um i would define it as living in one's truth and acting on one's truth so recognizing the truth and then acting in accordance with it and i think that naturally breeds new earth and all the concepts that people are wanting new earth to bring forth into reality i think it starts within and i think it's as simple as um just kind of sorting through the bs and living that way and when each person does that the collective reality shifts that was aaron douglas i am your host michael dunphy and this is the further liberation podcast after meeting aaron through his instagram page conscious community he invited me to do a collaboration video with him which i decided to also publish as an episode of this podcast so this episode is a little different than most in that he is basically interviewing me we had a great conversation that covered many different spiritual transformative and practical subjects So stay tuned in the future for when Aaron is a guest on my show and we get to learn a little bit more about him. So thanks for tuning in and enjoy this episode of the Further Liberation Podcast. So, I mean, there's so much that we can probably talk about. Maybe we could first talk about topics that we can talk about um, so we get to know a little bit more about uh, each other's forte or rather like what interests us and what we want to kind of like riff on because, um, yeah, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. Um, you know, for me, social interaction is a huge discussion. Um, how we treat ourselves. Um, internally, how we treat other people. Um, one that's interesting for me is uh, that life is perceived by the being and everything external is always simply being perceived by the being internally. Mm. And so how do you separate that or how do you identify external versus internal? Um, mm. You know, the concept of new earth, which is very, I think... I think it's kind of an out there concept, but I think there's ways that it can be discussed in a practical sense. Right. Um, really all sorts of spirituality, self-inquiry, um, all sorts of ideas. Um, really anything is kind of, I'm interested in talking about really anything, I guess, at the end of the mm-hmm. day. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, it makes awesome. our it makes our topics very uh, vast. There's so much we could talk about, which yeah. offers the challenge of where to begin mm-hmm. and what to focus on. I, I have one question for you right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you talk about New Earth, uh, I'm wondering uh, exactly what you mean by that, and also if it's in also uh, if it's in reference to uh, uh, a New Earth by uh, Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, yeah. Good question. Uh, yes, it's in reference to that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also in reference to, and maybe it started with that, but it's mm-hmm. in reference to the spiritual comedia, uh, community on social media mm-hmm. that is saying 5D ascension, new earth, mm. uh, a new paradigm, talking about the old shedding away and the new being being birthed. 
Right. So I'm referring to all of these concepts at once, just to use the words new earth as a catch-all, an umbrella for anyone describing what might be considered ascension or enlightenment or awareness, or really it boils down to on a practical level, from my perspective, self growth, Mm -hmm. self awareness, Mm -hmm. and choosing to act in line with what one considers to be their higher self. Right. And to make that, to define that in a practical sense, um, I would define it as, living in one's truth and acting on one's truth. So recognizing the truth and then acting in accordance with it. And I think that naturally breeds new earth and all the concepts that people are wanting new earth to bring forth into reality. I think it starts within, and I think it's as simple as um, just kind of sorting through the BS and living that way. And when each person does that, the collective reality shifts. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, most definitely. Yeah, I, I totally agree with everything you say. Um, I haven't, uh, I guess, looked deeply into what is meant by 5D. Like I have a, I have an, I have a very general idea of it. Mm-hmm. Everything I know, I guess, is coming from my own assumptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, like a high, it's just a higher dimensional reality in a sense where we just understand more and we are connected more to other uh, frequencies of being, whereas right now most of us are limited by our five senses. And when we go beyond that, we could understand that we have access to a lot more information if we just uh, practice tuning into it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, from my perspective, that's what I guess I would consider that ascension to be is opening up new doors in our own minds and understanding that we can connect to and understand a lot more. And in doing so, uh, we grow, uh, whether it be uh, physically or psychologically or spiritually or emotionally, it's all uh, ascending us to the next level of being in our quote unquote spiritual evolution. So would you agree with that in in that assessment or is there something I'm missing there? Uh, Completely. No, I think you hit the nail on the head. And, um, you know, a lot of my perspectives around 5D or new earth or, you know, I haven't done that type of research either. But what I have heard people talking about it, I understand because there's a collective understanding of what we're doing in the track that we're on. So that's typically where I'm coming from as well. And I agree actually with everything you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, in terms of practical things that level people up or that change our reality, you know, mm-hmm. so much of us are praying and yearning for a new collective experience. We might not like how the culture shows up or how people are treating each other or our access to true freedom in terms of living naturally and the laws of the universe acting upon us as opposed to the laws of others. So what Mm -hmm. do you see um, in that regard and how does that, how, how can that show up in a practical space? Um, so basically what you're asking is like how, how we bring that about uh, for ourselves in a sense, like what, what I would see as like, I guess, a practice in order to uh, create that kind of situation. Yeah. And, and anything around the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, well, for me personally, uh, I have found that obviously I, 
what I, I guess I would refer to as a spiritual practice is necessary. Um, regardless of whether or not you are spiritual at all, I guess it, what I'd, what I want to clarify, I suppose, is what I mean by spiritual, because it's not necessarily meaning that you believe in a higher power or anything like that, but it means that you have a connection to your, uh, a deeper part of yourself that is neglected when we are inundated with, uh, the material and that which we only experience through our five senses rather than going in and maybe some people might refer to it as like their intuition or something like that. We're often trained in our everyday lives, um, especially in our society, we're encouraged to somewhat ignore in our intuition and only uh, basically pay attention to our logical and reasonable and rational brains, which is necessary but it's also necessary to have a balance between the intuition or the spirit or the, the deeper knowing and uh, the rationality. Like sometimes, for example, for myself, I might feel as if I'm getting some sort of uh, message or understanding from something deeper than myself uh, because it seems to come suddenly. And in which case, usually that's uh, indicative of it being from uh, more so my intuition. But sometimes I end up analyzing that message that I get, and it turns out it was still connected to some aspect of my ego, but it just kind of disguised itself in a way to uh, trick me <laughs> into uh, doing its bidding for me for it. So uh, I think what's necessary is that discernment to be able to tell what is actually serving you for your higher good and for the highest good, which to me just basically means, you know, peace and love for all, like, you know, a state of well-being, a state of least amount of suffering possible and a state of togetherness and community where everyone kind of cares for one another because we understand on a deeper level that we are all the same being. So that's what I guess I mean by spiritual practice is understanding that we are connected on deeper levels than we imagine. And the way I do that, uh, it varies. It changes all the time. Um, it requires a little bit of uh, discipline sometimes, but most of the times it's literally me just going with the flow of nature. I allow, I allow, I trust myself. I've gotten to a point now where I can trust myself to do what I know is best for me. So I don't always think through all my decisions the way I used to, whereas before I used to be very diligent in every decision I made. I made sure that everything I was doing was would only bring about the most positive outcome because I was fearful of negative outcomes. Whereas now I have a, a trust in my intuition. If I feel like doing something, more than likely I'm going to do it. But that kind of sometimes can turn into a pattern or a habit that ends up being somewhat destructive. So I have to still be aware and make sure that I'm observing myself I don't necessarily always scrutinize every decision I make, but I still observe it and understand, try to understand a little bit where it's coming from. So what I'm really saying is that I have this uh, practice that I try to uphold, which would uh, include uh, regular meditation, uh, some form of regular exercise. Like I try to keep my body active and healthy. I try to only consume foods that I know are healthy for me. I try to only consume media that is only uh, encouraging of a 
connectivity and a community-based type of mind rather than a separation type of mind. And that could expand into all kinds of different things, like considering what I read and what I watch and what I listen to. And then there's just the idea of creating. I, I try to, um, well, it's not even necessarily that I, it's a conscious decision to do so. It's just sometimes I feel like a buildup of creative energy where I, I feel I need to get it out somehow. And for me, as of lately, uh, especially over the past year or so, that's been a lot through creating songs. Um, I grew up uh, playing music. Well, not grew up, but when I was like 16, I started playing drums. So I've always been, for the past 15 years, I've always been very musical. But over only over the past like five or six years have I picked up new instruments and started toying around with melody and other things like that. So now I've gotten really hooked on creating songs on uh, by just singing and playing ukulele. So that's a really... Yeah. creative force for me uh, sometimes i feel this energy and it's not necessarily that i want to get up and do exercise but i need to do something with it so i'll grab my uke off the wall and just start shredding <laughs> and then coming up with all kinds of different melodies and, and ideas but even that even my music everything i write is about my message everything is about the connectivity and uh the growing and of the consciousness and the the, the union of all things with the one source that we all are so that's where I, um, that's basically the, this practice I try to keep. And I wouldn't even necessarily want to use the word try because it's somewhat effortless now. Everything I do to some degree is effortless until I get to a point where I'm like, well, this isn't working. So I got to make a change. And then I have to put in some effort in order to make that change. But then once I make that effort for a consecutive amount of days or weeks, then it becomes habit and it's no longer, it no longer requires effort. So that's what I feel is like necessary for everyone in the sense that we all need some sort of daily practice uh, in order to keep our consciousness high. Because when our consciousness is at a lower vibration or a lower frequency, that's when we can allow such thoughts and feelings that are based around fear and separation and guilt and all the things that can be somewhat destructive. Do you feel that? one's state of being their thoughts their feelings is something that should be monitored and one should always do what they can to keep it at a certain level like is it that um important is it that timely or are there is there can you still reach one's goal of experiencing higher reality with days off, for example. Mm. Yeah, I guess even when I say daily practice, I don't mean that you can't take a day off. Mm. Um, I, and honestly, a big part of that daily practice is sometimes doing nothing at all. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, you need that rest and relaxation period as well. Mm. Uh, this this isn't about you know the grind. This isn't about working hard all day every day to get to like some sort of spiritual end, because ultimately there is no end. It's an ongoing. Uh, cycle mm -hmm. so yeah um I, I sometimes tell people when i talk to people about this uh, the life i live is that sometimes it can feel like a full-time job but in saying that it's only full-time because it's my every day um it's what i am now but it doesn't mean that it's always hard in fact it's almost never hard uh i'm almost 
consistently in a state of peace or ease or joy, uh, which is the complete opposite of what my life was for give or take 25 years. Mm. So yeah, um, there is no real obligation to it. It's not like you have to do this in order to ascend, but it's just that there are certain things we can practice that will facilitate a higher consciousness. You know, when, when we do such things as like, uh, um, I don't know, like drink alcohol, uh, abusively, or we, uh, gorge on, uh, damaging foods, or if we watch nothing but like horror movies and, and things like that, uh, you could still have a, you could still have a higher mindset while doing so. Like if you've already understood who you are, like I could watch a horror movie now and not let the fear take over me. I could not let it seep into my subconscious. Uh, but if, if you haven't reached a point of that kind of equanimity and control, then it's easier for those things to have an influence on you. So if you are seeking to find a more spiritual connection and a, a higher state of consciousness within yourself to uh, um, elicit more clarity than of not necessarily avoiding, but steering away from certain things such as that and moving into things that are, that you know are only positive things that encourage that state of mind is, is definitely helpful. It, it's just the kind of the, the nature of reality. It's like, uh, clearly, if you hit yourself in the hand with a hammer every day, your hand is never going to heal. But if you choose to put the hammer down then and allow yourself to heal, then the, the wound will get better and eventually your your hand will go back to normal. So it, it's it's just the logical kind of practical idea of do what's best for you and then your mind will serve you in turn. The spirit will serve you in turn. Like we do have a choice on some level from some perspective that we can make decisions in order to better ourselves. Uh, but a lot of it is momentum as well. There's still this energy that is driving us that there's always something beyond our awareness because if everything was within our awareness at all times, we would just be one with the oneness, the pure light, and we wouldn't be a human. So it, it would take away from the human experience. So there is like this game, this dance of doing what's best, but then allowing the universe to work for you as well. Uh, so it, yeah, it's, it's important to have a good balance of that. That's awesome. I really like what you're saying about, about the pure awareness and that we wouldn't be human. I think mm. it's definitely been a theme in my life, but I, I know it's a theme for many people that wanting to be perfect in some way or, or, or reach some form of all knowingness without having any blind spots. Mm. And clearly, because of the concept that you're talking about, that's not a human experience to have. Mm -hmm. um, it's a God experience. It's a God experience. And that is uh, not the perspective that we're living in from and living from right now. So mm -hmm. I think it's great to identify that because it's actually can be quite empowering to come from the human perspective to experience and to think and to feel. And it's okay to not presently be in the God experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. And the thing is, is that when we're living our everyday lives, it's almost, it's, it's sometimes damn near impossible to experience the God experience because we are interacting <laughs> with others, especially if you want to connect to others. You know, if you have a desire 
to liberate others or awaken those, then then you're going to have to interact with them and show them some sort of truth and love in order for them to ascend as well. So you need to kind of like take a step down from that almighty throne kind of thing, you know? So, but that doesn't mean you can't experience it uh, at some points. Like, for example, sometimes when I go into deep meditation, I feel at one with the universe. I, I somewhat leave my body, it, not necessarily leave it, but I, I'm no longer confined to it. I feel myself connected to the air around me and the space I live in and the universe as a whole. So I feel that sense of no limits and I know that I'm all of it at once. And in that moment, I feel as if I could know and see and feel anything I desire, but it gets to a point where my consciousness is so high that I'm without desire. I'm, I'm at peace just being, uh, I don't necessarily want to think about anything. I don't want to feel anything. And I understand how that sounds like. It sounds like you, you don't want to feel anything kind of the way we uh, escape our feelings. Like some people might like, well, as I referenced earlier, some people might like use alcohol or something like opiates to numb their feelings, essentially. Now that's a different experience uh, entirely than the no feeling I'm talking about, because it's not necessarily no feeling. It's just that you know you don't have a specific feeling. It's as if you are feeling all things at once and that kind of culminates into this grand experience of knowing all and it's, it's an entirely different experience than just turning off your feelings or turning off your awareness if anything you're you're aware of everything and nothing all at once so we can still uh, have the quote-unquote god experience uh, in our human existence but it's just that you know you do it for an hour or so you meditate for an hour or so you get to that point uh, and that kind of fuels you uh, it's like you go into that god heaven type realm so you can grow your spirit and connect yourself more with your true self so then when you get out of the meditation you're more well equipped to work in the human world but the ideal isn't to get to the god experience and then you're done and you're just a god and then that's it if, if anything you might get to that experience even after this life or something like that. Uh, you might spend some lifetimes as like an angelic type of being where you serve people on a different level, but it, it's always service. It's always creation. So you're just going to keep ascending. And even if you get to that godlike realm, then you might spend, I don't know. Like, well, the thing is that in that realm, there's, there's no real time. So, but it could be from your experience. It might feel like thousands of years or millions of years. And then at some point, you've been in this this bliss this peace this oneness for so long that you feel that you might want to uh become human again and you you have that level of equanimity and that level of confidence that level of um assuredness that you're always going to be okay that you're willing to take on uh the most arduous things and that's why sometimes you'll hear people say you know you'll hear people talk about in the spiritual community that everyone chose to be here. And then a lot of people will take offense to things like that and be like, oh, so did the people in Auschwitz choose to be there? And so that's a very hard type of idea to grasp for, for some because it's, it's to, the, to the fearful mind or to the, to the mind that believes in separation that's, that's horribly offensive. So I get that. But the thing is, is that once you've been God for so long, you want to serve everyone. So you want to show to humanity what humanity is capable of 
and you want to show them that uh, quote unquote evil is possible because in order for us to really ascend above that, we need to be aware of it. We need to know that it exists. So we, as these higher spiritual beings, higher evolved beings, decide to take on incarnations that are just nothing but uh, suffering. And we do that because somebody needs to, <laughs> so even if it's not on this world, like that, that, that isn't to say that there's not always, there isn't always going to be suffering in this world. Like we could create a world where there's next to no suffering. And what I mean is like suffering will just be on a way uh, calmer level. Like we won't have torture. We won't have war. We won't have extreme painful disease. It would just be like, you know, you could still break a bone or something and feel the pain, but you would, you would have a level of understanding that would uh, allow you to kind of transcend the pain and be okay with it. But uh, we, we higher evolved beings will take on incarnations such as that because they understand that where we are on this earth, for an example, is that people need to be horrified by what's possible. Like the reason why people are so adamant against stuff like fascism and stuff of the sort or socialism or, or, or just like the Nazi movement in general is because they seen how horrible it can be. But for an example, before I knew what the Holocaust was when I was 13 years old, before we learned about it in school, before I even knew that it existed, I didn't understand that evil had that capacity. I didn't know it could actually get that bad. I thought that was something that was reserved for horror movies and, and the fantasy realm. You know, I didn't think it was something that people were actually capable of doing. But then when I understood it, I was able to feel it so viscerally that I just knew I never want to be anything near that. So it kind of drives you to be a better person. So that kind of stuff, everything that we experience in reality is necessary to some degree. And it's necessary in the sense that it needs to exist as a possibility. doesn't mean it needs to exist right now. Like we could abolish all, um, all slavery and injustice in this world. And, but as long as we remain vigilant and still have like the literature and the knowledge and the stories passed down, they're like, Oh, you know, 50 years ago, there was people who used to torture people. We don't do that anymore. We don't kill for no reason because we understand. But when we begin to forget those types of concepts is when we are liable to repeat them again. So it's important to know that suffering and evil is possible. So certain godlike incarnations will choose to take on those lives so they can show the rest of humanity what we're capable of when we aren't aware of who we are. You said something about pain, about uh, feeling pain. And I, I want to ask you, do you think that pain in and of itself is painful? And I'm referring to world, worldly pain, like physical, mental, or emotional pain. Mm -hmm. Is pain mm -hmm. painful? Uh, I guess just in the sense that you are describing it as that. But I can tell you from my own experience that I have had... Uh, plenty of experiences now where I've experienced something that I would have considered painful in my past, where I, I've almost would almost even consider it excruciatingly painful. And I've been able to rise above it because of my knowledge of what I am mm -hmm. and know that pain is just the transfer of energy. And it is also the dissipation of energy. It is something that will pass. And in that knowledge, I'm able to be, it's kind of like a step-by-step -step process. I'm like, I feel the pain and then immediately my trigger is like my habit is to resist it. Like, Oh my God, I hate it. I want it to go away. But I've trained myself for so long now 
to understand that that's not what serves me to know that. So then the next step becomes, okay, it's painful. Look at that pain. Oh my God, it's so intense. It's crazy. And then I kind of just observe it and be with it and accept it as it is. And then the next step would be to, okay, yeah, I know it's painful and it's crazy and it feels wild. And I don't, I like, I'm not completely in control right now, but I also know that it will pass. So then the next step after that was, oh, it will pass. That's, that's great news. And then it kind of elevates my consciousness a little bit to the point that I guess I might get an adrenaline rush. I'm not exactly sure what is happening biologically, but I experience less of it. Uh, it could still be very there. Like it's not like the, the, the situation or the, the incident goes away. It's still, still sending me the signals. I'm still getting the information. Like say if I were to cut my arm or something like that, I'm still feeling all the, the intense vibration, the energy from my arm. But then I would just perceive it as just energy. And I would just be able to say like, oh my God, this is intense energy. This is quite a, like quite an experience. But then I, I kind of take on the mentality as like, this is just a ride, you know, like this is like a roller coaster ride, you know, like, oh my God, this is nuts. This is wild. And then by doing that, I can kind of find that mentality that it's like almost enjoyable for me. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm experiencing this and I'm not resisting it. This is so crazy that I'm able to view it as something that is not negative. And I get this level of confidence and this level of, uh, assuredness that I just, I know I'm going to be okay. So I'm just like, well, I might as well hang on for the ride. I might as well go with it and see whatever it's got to offer me. And when I adapt that type of mentality, um, I feel as if I'm healing faster for one. And also the, the pain just subsides. And even though the, the signal is there, I'm still receiving the information saying there's some intense energy going on, but I know it's healing. I know it's, I know it's myself healing. So in that I, I'm able to like, just let the idea of pain go. And I guess I would um, distinguish between pain and suffering because I kind of see it as pain as it is inevitable, but suffering is your choice. Um, Now, the way I kind of view that is when I was younger and I would experience pain, I would suffer greatly. I would like, I hate this. I want it to go away. And I would be like, please, please take it away. I would basically beg whoever because, well, when I was young, I never believed in a higher power. So I would just I didn't even know who I was begging, (laughs) but I was begging someone to make it stop. I would be like crying and screaming and be like, make it stop, make it stop, make it stop. And that just creates not only a physical pain, but that in turn creates an emotional and psychological pain as well, because you develop this fear and you develop uh, like this, this sadness or this anger towards it. So it, it, it creates this kind of vicious cycle of pain on every level, physical, emotional, and uh, psychological. Whereas if you use your psychological uh, prowess or your, your ability to say, okay, this is pain and I understand it's pain and I understand why it's happening. And I know now to avoid doing that again, like say, like for the example that I cut my arm, maybe I was like, you know, chopping up some vegetables and I slipped <laughs> and then put a wound in me. I was like, okay, now next time I got to be a lot more aware of how I handle that knife. So I learned from my mistake which makes it easier to accept the pain. I'm like, okay, I've learned what I need to learn. Now I can move on from it. I accept it. And by accepting it, I transcend above it. And then the pain is no longer painful. It's just energy to me. You say when you accept it, you transcend above it. So how does that relate to other parts of life? Um, Does acceptance always lead to transcending something? And is acceptance part of living in a higher space, living in a a higher vibration. 
Hmm. Um, does acceptance always lead to transcending? Not, I don't know if I would say always. Um, because like I said, there is the step-by-step process and there is that step of accepting it and not resisting it. That's what I mean by accepting it is that I'm no longer wishing it to go away, but I'm accepting it that it is. And I'm appreciating that it exists and I'm not denying it, but I could still feel the pain. I could still be like, ow, this hurts. Oh my God. But it's, it's something that is, but it's, you know, I'm going to be okay, but I could still feel it. But mm. then if I, I could keep ascending, if I'm in the right state of mind, and then I could be like, oh, wow, doesn't even hurt anymore. Even though I can feel the energy, it doesn't mm-hmm. hurt. Mm-hmm. So there, that is two different modes, I suppose. Uh, it's, 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 it's two different steps on, on, the, on the staircase to transcendence. Uh, what was the second question? Um, well, I forgot, but the new question <laughs> is, <Sure. laughs> um, does acceptance end suffering? Hmm. Well, yeah, I guess in a sense, uh, because to me, suffering is resistance. Mm. To me, suffering is not wanting something and wishing it not to be. When you're wishing anything not to be that is, then you are going against what is. You're going against the reality of the situation. And by that, you are creating a split in your mind. You are rec- your mind and your body recognizes that something is, and then your consciousness is saying, I don't want this. Make mm. it go away. Mm. So that dissonance between the two different minds is what causes the suffering. It's the imbalance that causes the suffering. But by accepting and saying, I know this is, it's painful, and I understand that, that's when the suffering stops because there's no more dissonance. You feel the pain. You feel the energy and your mind says, I know this to be, and I understand that it is. And even though it might still be physically painful, the understanding of it is what allows you to uh, get rid of the dissonance. Uh, you, 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 are in, you are in harmony with your reality. If your reality is telling you that your arm is cut and, you're, and there's a lot of uh, pain receptors that were triggered and sending that information to your brain, then that's the reality at this moment. And so for you to say, no, this can't be, I hate it. I want it to be away and I'm denying it. And that creates the dissonance. But if you accept it and you say, yes, I understand that this is painful. And of course it's painful. My pain receptors are triggered and that's just what's happening right now. And by doing that acceptance type of mechanism, you are creating harmony within yourself because you know it to be, and you accept it to be. So that's what eliminates the suffering. The suffering comes from the dissonance. It comes from the 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 difference in ideas mm. that's powerful i'm taking some notes so that's why i'm looking down of course yeah i got a notebook there too in case i want to write something <laughs> good so when you're referring to dissonance is that the same thing as cognitive dissonance or is there a different differentiation here yeah i would say so um because Cognitively, um, you are cognizant of the pain. And if you are resisting it, then you are cognizant of the resistance. So those two conflicting ideas is what causes the, the hitting off of each other. You know, it, it's, all, it's all a matter of frequency and, and, and vibration, right? And when you have two different vibrations in your mind, one says one thing and one says the other, 
then they're not going to harmonize. They're not going to be at ease. They're going to bounce off and create this tension. And that tension is what jars you and makes you not easy and makes you feel this, uh, this imbalance. Um, so yeah, I would definitely say that, that I would consider that cognitive dissonance. And that could like that goes beyond just the physical pain. You know, you could have cognitive t- cognitive dissonance in the sense that you have two conflicting ideas, and that's what uh, a lot of us experience as well, I guess what we could call a mental illness. You know, everyone like if you were told all your life that you know you are worthy or something like that, and you know your your parents did a good job of instilling you with a sense of uh, love and confidence, but then you go out into the world and everyone calls you a piece of shit and you start believing that, then you're going to have some cognitive dissonance. And that dissonance is what is going to cause the suffering. Mm. So what, what would one do in that circumstance? Cause that actually is something that I've experienced, mm. um, you know, receiving validation from certain people and receiving rejection from certain people that I experienced held equal value to me. And so, you know, for my, I'm asking for myself, but I think it's a really common experience. And so what does one do to mend that so that there isn't a, a fragmented perception of, of oneself? Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, from my perspective, it's, it's all about understanding truth because I dealt with that a lot of my life. I, you know, I struggled to keep a idea that was positive of myself. I often, uh, I often had, very destructive ideas of who I was. Um, so the way I understood it is that w- when I understood what actually is, uh, and, and what I mean by that is just that there is just an infinite energy that we are an expression of, meaning that everything is the same. Everything is an expression of the same energy. So everything is and everyone is all the same thing. So inherently in that fact, how could you determine what has higher value and what has lesser value? So if I, like I said, if I, if I experienced praise and uh, encouragement from some people in my life, but then I encountered others who, um, who basically brought me down or attempted to bring me down, I would understand for one that what they're saying is false. Like if they said you're a shitty human or, you know, you're bad at this or you're, I don't know, whatever it was that uh, insulted me and made me feel less than, I could understand that, well, the communication, the information that they're transferring to you essentially is that you are less than, you are not whole, you are not what you need to be. So now you can take that constructively and that's, that can be a positive thing because if you are doing something that is harmful to others and somebody calls you a shitty person because of it, then you can look at yourself and say, yeah, okay, maybe I shouldn't do that because it does hurt other people. So maybe I should alter my behavior. So you can take it constructively, which is, which is healthy. Uh, but if it's not something like that and somebody just wants to hurt you, you can see it uh, in two different ways. You can see that they are hurt themselves and nobody who feels whole wants to hurt others. Once you know who you are and you understand that you are whole as you are and you are a, a, lo- a, a being of pure love and that we all are, then you have no desire within you to harm others, uh, whether it be verbally or physically. So you can understand that uh, when someone insults you and does so just to harm you or rejects you or 
whatever it is that you're uh, interpreting as them trying to hurt you or not even trying to, but they just did something and it did hurt you, you can understand that you're already whole and you don't need their validation in order to feel that. You don't need uh, the, the approval of others to know what you are. Um, so that's how I would handle it. Um, I feel like that would be the other way I was speaking of is like, you understand that what they're saying isn't true. And let, like, if they're just saying, you know, you suck or something as simple as that, then like, that's not a, a fact, you know, that, that's just your opinion. So it doesn't matter to me. And you just got to understand where they're coming from with it. When somebody tries to do that type of harm to you, when they're just throwing negative words at you to psychologically harm you, then they are doing so because they are coming from a place of lack within themselves. And if anything, your response should be, it's okay. I understand you believe that, but I, I still love you. You know, that, that will be my response anyways. I, I try to, I tend to try to steer away from words like should, but yeah, that's how I would handle it. If somebody was insulting me, I'd be like, yeah, I can see why you think that, but I don't agree. Uh, but I still love you, even though you think I'm bad. Uh, you know, like that's been my approach um, for everything. If, if anybody referred to me in any negative sense over the past seven years, then I would just be like, yeah, okay. I get, you have that opinion and I get that, but that's your opinion to have, but it doesn't affect my sense of self-worth because I don't need your approval for my sense of self-worth. I know factually, not just because I've been telling myself, oh, you're great and you love yourself. It wasn't like a result of like affirmations or something that got me to that level of understanding. It was, it was truly just that I understood that we are all just energy and there isn't any less than or more than. You don't come into this world as a fragmented being as some uh, religious ideologies might want you to believe. Like the only one that comes to my mind, it's, it's not necessarily just an attack on Christianity, but it's the one I know the best, is that Christianity tells us we are born into sin, meaning that we are already broken when we get here. And our job is to atone and do, uh, you know, uh, basically surrender to some other higher power that is separate from us in order to make ourselves whole. But the fact is that we come into this world already whole, and then we encounter such uh, distorted ideologies and philosophies that make us believe that we aren't whole. We start to believe in fear. We start to believe in separation. We start to believe in scarcity and all these types of things make us believe that we have to do something and be something in order to feel our true nature. But that isn't the case. We, we always have the ability to feel our, feel our true nature. Uh, we just have to recognize that as fact. Really good. Really good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, our true nature, scarcity, lack. Mm. It's a very interesting topic because mm -hmm. most people, I, li I like to generalize and, and talk about the most people because the collective is interesting to me. So sure. most, pe most people <laughs> that are alive right now have been told since a very young age that there's lack. Mm -hmm. And that could be something as simple as in the household, there was lack. Mm -hmm. And on a grand scale, we're told that there's not enough food for everyone. Mm -hmm. And that simple things that humans are doing, our actions, our habitual patterns are creating lack. And that there is so much scarcity that if we don't act like there's scarcity, and fix our actions that will either, you know, maybe die or run out of resources or 
that we must act within the confines of scarcity and lack in order for there mm-hmm. to be more abundance. And so I'm just priming the conversation or the topic a little bit. And I'm curious what, what you think of a couple things. Um, and then you can answer at, at will. You know, some, some things that I bring up are sometimes touchy to certain aspects of the population and sometimes they're, they're not. And mm-hmm. so I want to ask you what you think of global resources. Is there enough for humans on earth? I believe there's something around 8 billion humans. And so if that's the case, is that, do you think there's enough? I know there's conflicting uh, sources out there that say different things, but even, even just, you know, not considering are there enough trees for us to cut down to make houses? But is, is there, is there actual lack in this realm? Do we have to act from scarcity? Mm. I really, uh, I like that perspective you uh, offer because it's interesting that that's, that is the mentality we have. We have, we've been told that in order to create abundance, we have to accept that there is scarcity and, and act within those confines. And that's what, will create abundance when in reality the opposite is true <laughs> yeah that's it's, it's very true i never considered it that way but this is something i often talk about as well um yeah um i would say uh, to your question are there enough resources for everyone to be provided for is a resounding yes uh, there's no doubt in my mind that we have enough for everybody in the world um and uh, this is something i often preach in uh, my podcast and, and my videos and everything is that there truly isn't a lack in the sense that we could feed and clothe and shelter everyone if we truly, if that was truly our desire. Uh, but there is this ostensible idea of lack, this illusion of lack, because um, not necessarily saying this is uh, the cause, I suppose, but it's kind of just the evolution of how it occurred. You know, if if you just want to, like, even just take the the general understanding. Um, like the accepted theory in academia that we were once apes and then we evolved to be thinking apes essentially. But when we were apes, uh, even in that scenario there, you know, we lived as communities of uh, great apes and we, we had access to only so much food. There was only so many fruit trees and, and so on. And then like certain areas uh, there would be times where we actually had to compete over uh, certain resources, whether it be food or even mates, you know, like uh, I I believe that might be a connection to why uh, humans have become so possessive over their mates. Typically it's usually men possessive over women, but it can be the reverse as well. Um, Apes had that um, tendency as well. You know, if there was only so many females, then uh, great apes would fight over a female and and some such things like that. Um, And I think that's, kind of inherent in a lot of different systems. Like you look at not even just apes, but all kinds of different uh, animals around the world. There's always, if there's any lack in the environment, then there's this uh, need for competition. And I'm not saying that's a negative thing. It was, it's what's necessary for them. And it was what was necessary for us at one point, but we evolved to a point where we could use our thinking minds to rationally uh, decide what to do with what we were given. Now, We've been working ways out to do that for the past, I don't know how many thousand years, and but we've been doing it somewhat poorly because some people, given the fear of lack, 
have the tendency to hoard and they don't ever want to be without because they understand how bad that would be. So they would create systems and encourage systems that allow them to take more than everyone else. So that's why you'll get things like rulers, like kings or pharaohs or whatever that would have people who are slaves or the uh, people in poverty. So they could live a lavish lifestyle. They could still have all the food they want, all the women they want, all the things they desire. They wanted to create a godlike experience for themselves because inherently we know it's possible, but those people back then didn't really understand how it was achievable. So they did it in the material world by taking from others in order to get it for themselves. So that kind of evolved into the state we are today. But now with where we are and what we know, people are starting to realize on a global scale that, you know, this whole poverty epidemic, the idea that some people are dying every day because they don't have enough food or they, or they don't have heat in their house or they don't have uh, clothing on their back to keep them warm. Those types of ideas, they are, they are necessary now because we have found ways to solve all those issues. It's just that the system that has been in place for so long wants to maintain itself because the people who control it don't see any other way. And they won't allow themselves to see any other way because they fear that they're going to be the ones attacked. And they've also taken measures uh, in order to do this that have been somewhat inconsiderate of others. So they feel that if the truth comes out and it's shown that there was never any lack, that they're going to be put on a, a stake and burned essentially because they've been screwing us all over for so long. So they won't allow their system to fail. They won't, they'll do whatever it takes to have that knowledge suppressed that there isn't lack. So that's why you'll see certain corporations uh, suppressing certain technologies that could truly help humanity. And uh, this is happening all the time because they don't want their system to crumble. But where we are now with people like you and I and other people who understand that there are ways that we could take care of everyone. Now, it doesn't mean we're all going to live uh, lavishly like kings or whatever. Now, I'm not saying that's not possible either. But what I'm saying is that when you recognize yourself as part of the whole, you you make you you are willing to take make certain sacrifices, and by doing so, you understand that where we need to begin is just giving everybody their essential needs, and then we can build from there. So, do we have enough food? Could we grow enough food to feed everyone? Absolutely. Um, do we have enough energy, uh, or do we know enough about energy? To give everyone heat in their home? Absolutely. Uh, do we have, could we grow enough cotton and hemp and other crops to clothe everyone? Absolutely. But the systems that are in place uh, put up boundaries to those ideals because, like I said, they don't want it to crumble and fall apart because it's the only thing they know and they're fearful, which is understandable. Awesome. I think it's a, uh an advanced perspective to be able to look around and see that the natural environment does actually provide the type mm. of abundance that we need, even for this amount of people, because it's so often touted that there's not, mm. which is ultimately just some misinformation <laughs> Exactly for, for certain people's agendas or interests. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I, I can relate <laughs> because I used to be of that mindset as well. You know, um, I battled with it, um, but there was definitely a part of me at one point in my life where I was willing to sacrifice the feelings and well-being of others 
in order for me to get more money or pay my bills or whatever, because I was scared. I didn't want to be homeless. I didn't want to be hungry. Mm-hmm. So uh, that innate fear that exists within everyone is driving the world we have today. This world we have um, is in big part created by our fears, but simultaneously we are creating a world that is uh, created by love and that's the world we're creating now. And it's already, you know, it's already created on so many levels. You know, I have abundance in my life. I have everything I need. I'm not rich by any means, but I'm never in lack. I always have enough food. I always have enough energy and I always have enough, uh, everything that I need. I, I never feel as if uh, I don't have enough. I'm never fearing as if bad things are going to happen because I'm not in a place I need to be. Uh, so as we all adapt that type of mentality that appreciate what you have and understand that you're always taken care of regardless, um, then you, that will become the case. That will become your reality. Not only will other physical beings in your reality help you and assist you in more, but there are higher level beings that exist on higher dimensions that are there to assist us and basically walk us home through this whole uh, fiasco we're experiencing right now. How does one grasp that concept? How does one experience beings that are here to walk us home? Mm. And take, take your time, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and part of why I'm asking is because I, I experience guidance okay. in terms of feeling. But I personally haven't experienced guidance from beings that are not physical. Mm-hmm. I've experienced etherical physical beings in terms of they have a very etherical stance to them and the way that they are guides is very otherworldly but in terms of a non-physical presence how can one experience that Mm. Um, first i would say that i have very little experience in that realm as well and what i mean is that every time i've been connected to some greater wisdom um, i always understand that on a fundamental level it is just me and I don't mean me as in Mike. I mean me as in the collective, the all. Okay. Um, so a lot of people will experience it as an angel or a spirit guide or a light worker or, a, uh, I don't know, starseed. I'm not exactly sure what all those terms exactly mean. So I'm not even exactly sure if I'm using them correctly. But, um, you know, they might have a spirit guide. And it comes to them. It might have a name. It might have even a body. You might even be able to see it or feel it or know it on some other level. Now, I'm not saying that that doesn't exist, but it exists just as much as anything else because it's just another vibration of frequency like you and I. You and I are just uh, collective vibrations of frequencies, which are, you know, uh, which basically coagulate into protons, neutrons, electrons. So those types of things create human bodies, but they also, um, albeit maybe not protons, neutrons, electrons, but... uh, Coagulations of frequencies on a higher level uh, can come to create a, a body of some kind. Might, maybe it might be more like a light body. So people experience these things in different ways. And I believe that the reason why people experience these things in different ways is because people have different consciousness consciousnesses and they have different sets of beliefs. So when I first started understanding all these things, uh, initially they came from my own mind. It was because of my own logical deduction. 
I was basically asking questions to myself and getting answers. At no point did I think there was someone else communicating to me. I just knew it was another aspect of myself. So I have never had someone come to me in form to say, hey, I am Archangel Dave. <laughs> you know, I was going to say Michael, but my name is Michael too, because that's only Mark, Archangel I'm familiar with. But uh, yeah, so it's never been like that for me. I've never had an experience of somebody communicating to me in form because even if they did, I would just recognize them and say, well, I know you're just an aspect of myself and that would essentially dissolve them. And it was like, there's no point for me. There's no, <coughs> there's no purpose for me to see them as separate because uh, with my experience, I've known that every time I separate myself in any form, I am limiting myself in some way. So when I receive this connection of wisdom or um, higher knowledge, uh, I just know it's an aspect of myself and then it comes in more clearly. So uh, one way people can, I guess, achieve that state of knowing is to start to toy with the idea that you are all things, that you are everything that ever was and ever will be, and you are just an expression of it and you can tune in to the grand frequency that exists within us all, uh, the potentiality for all uh, for all possibility. Uh, that is something that's like the like the radio frequency that we can all tune our stations to. So uh, that's one way to do it. But there are people who, like I said, um, still on some level view themselves as separate, even if they know fundamentally, even if they know intellectually better, uh, that they are all one. Like there are many people that you would speak to about these types of subjects. And you would say, you know, we're all one. And they're like, yes, I agree so much. I know I'm part of the whole. I know I'm all one. But they'll still say, you know, my spirit guy came to me and he said this. So they still have that idea of separation within them. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. If that serves them at that time to hold that type of idea, if that's what they need in order to get their wisdom, then that's great. That's that's what they need. Um, because some people... Uh, even though they know they try to believe in their self-worth, they try to believe in their own ability and their own capacity, sometimes it's hard for them. Uh, you know, We have ingrained patterns that have developed over years of our lives to say that you are not whole. So when you start getting this wisdom and you start to imagine it as yourself, uh, your old self, your conditioned self might say, no, nah, there's no way I could know this. So that's why we create other beings. We create, oh, it was actually an archangel that came to me. It was actually a spirit guy that came to me. And by having that separation, it makes it easier to listen to them. Because if you don't have full confidence and full awareness of what you are, then it's easier for you to take advice from someone else. And I'm still, I still experience this myself. Like sometimes when I get caught in my own ego for a couple of days at a time or something like that, um, I might not be fully aware of it. So then some fear might seep in and then I'm somewhat governed by fear. And then I'll get, I'll, I'll, it'll kind of cultivate itself to a point that I'm like, oh my God, I'm scared now because something's going on. I'm like, okay, so now it's time to sit with my thoughts and find out why I'm scared. So when I do so, I often uh, allow myself to separate. Um, I allow myself to have a God voice, okay? Uh, I'll be like, okay, God, and I'll kind of speak to it uh, from Michael's perspective. I'm like, oh, Michael's scared right now. Why are we scared, Michael? And then we'll talk it out. And having that conversation between one aspect of myself and the other, it helps me. Whereas other times where I'm already in a higher state of consciousness, I don't need the separation. I just know I'm, I'm all of it anyways. And even when I'm having the separation, I fundamentally know I'm both of it. 
but I still allow myself to have the separation so I could have a better conversation and I can get to the root of things by having two separate motives. Like one guy wants to share information. The other guy wants to ask questions. And by having that separation, I can, I can kind of logically deduce how I got to that point. So yeah, uh, it's necessary for some people to have spirit guides or angels that help them or even a dead loved one that helps them. Um, but ultimately, you know, when you understand the full scheme of things, you're all of it anyways. You are your spirit guide. You are that angel and you are your dead loved one. You are the loved ones that you have in your life that are still alive. We, we are all the same being, just uh, talking to each other to re- remind ourselves what we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are. <clears throat> that's what's so interesting and something that's been showing up for Aaron's perspective or in Aaron's experience has, has been that the relationship to others, the relationship to other, other humans or, or a tree or an object Mm -hmm. is fully and simply the relationship that one has to experiencing anything and that it's not personal to that tree or to that person or to that object, or even I suppose it's most personal to oneself because that's where the work is done. Mm. But that all of the external, all relationships with any type of person, any type of relationship or relationship to pets or animals it's indicative of one's relationship to oneself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the relationship to oneself is perception of experience. How is one reacting to experience? How does one react to things they feel, things they think? How do they, how do they shift their reactions and experiences and, how do you think how do you think people are treating themselves if they're treating others certain ways and how can one go about changing that mm. okay how can one develop a more positive relationship to mm. self to others which is all the same mm. Mm. so I, I'm thinking of a time where I spoke about this before because this similar idea occurred to me once. And so I found within myself that which I used to hate or despise or dismiss was a reflection of myself. Okay, so everything I didn't like about myself, everything I tried not to be, I, if I seen that in others, I would have some sort of disdain for those others. I would hate them. I would think they're stupid. I would think they're bad. I would think all kinds of different negative things. Um, So basically on a fundamental level, when I started to analyze that, I realized that these, I have the capacity for the same behavior. It doesn't mean I have the tendency for it. It just means that, you know, um, I'll use an analogy. I once heard Jacques Fresco say, he said that if, you are born into a capitalist society and you have a functioning brain, you have a strong brain, you're a healthy body. You are going to make 
you're going to be raised to be a very good capitalist. But if you are the same person and you're born into uh, a Nazi society or fascist society and you have a strong brain and you have a strong being, you're going to make yourself a strong Nazi. So the thing is, is that there's no inherently bad or good people. Uh, we are just a product of our circumstances. Uh, whether or not we uh, ascribe or subscribe to uh, the ideologies around us, uh, depending on how well we do it, is dependent on our, our, our genetics and our functionality. But that doesn't mean it's something that will change our beliefs. Um, so what I realized in myself was that all the things that I was seeing in others that I, I despised was something I was actively trying to neglect as an, a possibility in myself. I realized that I could be that if I was in their circumstances. Like, uh, just a quick example popped in my head. Um, if I, you know, I used to look at people who are rich and, and greedy and, and stuff like that. I used to see them as really evil, so to speak. And uh, I realized, I was like, well, after creating like a scenario for myself and having a thought experiment, okay, so... Mike, what if what would happen if if you ended up winning the lottery tomorrow, and then all these people were asking you for money, and they were getting mad at you because you could, you wouldn't share it? Like, would you give away all your money? Would you be completely uh, philanthropic, or would you would you basically still live in this state of fear, knowing that like, okay, well, this money's going to last me for the rest of my life, and I'm going to be say if I live till ninety years old, then I'm going to need at least like fifty thousand dollars a year in order to uh, maintain myself and live in a comfortable sense. So I got to maintain this much money so I can only give away this much. So then I'm sitting on you know, a couple million dollars and, you know, I give some to my family members and give some to my friends, but then there's all kinds of other things going down in my community. There's all kinds of people still starving. There's all kinds of people still dying. The world at large is still having all kinds of terrible situations because of poverty. So would I actually go out and try to, to change everything with my money and basically get rid of all of it and only keep enough for me to survive for a few years? Or would I be smart and proactive and intelligent considering that this world didn't seem to be changing at that point and it might, you know, it might never change. So I should, I should put my nest egg away. I should have something to sit on. So then I'm going to be considered greedy by others. And I would have been considered greedy by myself, by my, my own standards. So I realized that all these things that I used to hate in others, I was capable of it. I just wasn't in their circumstances. So when you see something in others, as, as abhorrent as you might think it is, is, as much as you might think, I would never do that, not under any circumstances. I'm better than that. I'm, that's just a, like, it's a, it's a, it's a righteousness illusion. You, if you were in their position, if you were born the same way, if you were raised the same way, you would be the same way. So I think it takes a level of realization, a level of discovery to know that you are just as capable of doing all the quote unquote evils that everybody else in the world is capable of doing. Mm -hmm. And accepting that as a part of you, not necessarily a part of you, there's a better way to put it, um, as as a potential in you, accepting it as a potential in you and understanding that it can be is the only way to truly avoid it. Because if you try to neglect it and you're like, I would never be that. And you, you, you swear it off and you're like, no, nope, I hate it. 
it should die. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna actively seek out anybody who is that and and vanquish them. That type of mentality only furtherly creates the possibility and the creation of it within yourself. So mm-hmm. by pushing something away, I'm sure you've probably heard this in in being in the spiritual community as well. Is that that which you resist persists. Mm-hmm. So the more energy you push away, you say, no, I don't want you. You're basically pushing your physical energy into it. And then that's kind of cycling and growing it. But if you're like, okay, come on, what are you? I accept you. Then it'll just move through you. It eventually will fizzle down and become to the zero state and it will no longer have any energy. But Mm -hmm. when you say, no, I don't want that. I hate that part of me, but you don't even acknowledge it's a part of you. You're like, no, I'm not like that. I would never do that. You're pushing that away. You're in the back of your head. You're kind of always trying to be diligent. It's like, make sure you don't be that. Make sure you don't be greedy. Make sure you don't be greedy because if you're seen as greedy, you're going to hate yourself. Mm -hmm. So this whole idea becomes like a a constant cycle in your mind, a constant effort that is to be made to avoid being that aspect of yourself. And by constantly trying to avoid it and constantly keeping it going and obtaining or maintaining that level of diligence, you are creating the possibility more and more. And then when you finally let go, when you finally say, oh, okay, screw it. I, like it's too hard to keep this going and you, you, you release your energy to it, then you'll start to become it. So rather than building it up by pushing it away, you just accept that, yeah, I could be that. I could be evil. I could be a murderer. I could be a killer. I could be anything that you could possibly imagine, but I choose not to be it. Mm-hmm. I know that 10 years ago, if I was in a position where somebody, I don't know, did something so wrong to me, like killed a family men- member of mine, I would feel completely justified in torturing them to death. Now, whether or not you believe that's something that you should be doing, I, I wouldn't, okay? <laughs> but, but now I know that like anybody, what I'm, basically what I'm trying to say is that anybody can justify anything to themselves if they believe themselves to be right. Yes. Uh, I, don't, I don't believe anybody in power, and I think you mentioned this in a video of yours, that you don't believe either that anybody in power is actually intending to do wrong. Nobody's out there thinking, I'm going to do evil, you know? There, <laughs> there's no like that cartoon villain who twirls his mustache and, and just wants to create chaos, you know, even if they actively say, I'm just here to create chaos, the reason why they're doing that fundamentally is because they lack a connection to themselves or they lack a connection to other people and they don't know what it's like to feel love. So they've given up on love and they've gone in the complete opposite direction of it. Therefore, they've made themselves a creator of chaos and suffering because they don't know what else to do. And at least when they cause suffering, they feel a little bit of power. And when they feel power, they feel a little bit more connected to themselves and it feels somewhat good to them. But that's not who they truly are. The only reason why they've gotten to that point is because they've let themselves believe that love isn't possible. But when you truly know that love is possible and not only is it possible, but it's your, your true nature and it's who we are, then the capacity for evil just falls by the wayside. You're like, why would I do evil? It just doesn't make any sense. It's not about being good. It's just about being practical. Why would I choose to hurt others when I know they are also me. Doesn't make any sense. It's like saying, why would I choose to hurt my own leg? Just why doesn't make any sense. So it's not about being good. It's about being practical. And when you understand the full truth, it just makes sense to be good to others. It just makes sense to be good to yourself. So yeah, when you see that kind of behavior in the world that you hate, rather than trying to push it away or vanquishing it or uh, squashing it out, 
Um, try to understand where it's coming from. People are afraid to understand evil because they don't even want to consider the possibility that they could have a justification for it. Nobody wants to look at a serial killer and be like, why did he do that? Most people will say, fuck, who cares why he did it? He's a piece of shit. He should die. Fry him. You know, that's everyone's mentality. And I see where that comes from. It comes from you trying to be good, but ultimately it's kind of productive because you are only creating that serial killer by trying by hating it and saying, I don't want it. I want it to die. You are giving that serial killer more fuel and creating more like him. So that's how I would handle that situation. Yeah, definitely. And <clears throat> with the serial killer saying, Oh, that person's bad. Mm -hmm. You're neglecting that part of you and yourself because we're all light and we're all dark. And as you were saying, when you realize that the thing that you're hating about someone else you would could or would or might be in that situation or you might be the same way in that situation. Mm -hmm. I think that's, I think that's really powerful. I think that's uh, almost the same thing as compassion and, mm. and looking at and having reverence for, for things because you are the same. And mm. yeah, I think it's interesting that people that we wouldn't want to accept that we might be that person that does the bad mm. thing. When, the reality is we're pushed into a certain situation or circumstance. We very, very well might be that person. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Wow. So it comes from that understanding, you know, it comes from understanding that we all have the capacity for it. We all have the capacity for light and dark. And we, when we accept that idea that we are two sides of that coin, that's when we can make choices. But if you, if you don't accept that you're two sides of that coin, then you aren't making a conscious choice. You are being governed by, I don't know, for lack of a better term, fate by, uh, by your own subconscious, by your own habitual patterns. And if your habitual patterns are to hate, then you will end up hating yourself and hating others for reasons that aren't justified. Well, I don't think any reason is justifiable for hate, but you understand what I mean. Curious, mm -hmm. what are you drinking? <clears throat> this is a, a juice. Um, I didn't make it myself, so I don't know everything that's in it, but I can tell that there's beet. Fennel, apple, probably some lemon and ginger, and there might be a couple mm. other things. But um, mm. sounds delicious. Hand delivered to me during the, <laughs> during the uh, the video here. So excellent, grateful for, grateful for that. Yeah, I love some fresh juice and vibrant food. That's nothing better than than that, you know. <laughs> so agreed, agreed. <laughs> for mm. the sake of um, of time and my timing today, if we mm -hmm. can do one or two more questions, um, sure. Not to not to uh, stop conversation between us and the world, but rather just for timing today. A pause. A pause, exactly, yes, exactly. Um, I want to ask you if you have any questions for me, either from the conversations that we've had or if there's anything that's coming to mind. And I would like to ask you one more thing as well. Okay. Um, hmm. Nothing pops in my mind immediately. Um, like I am just interested in, like, I'm interested in getting to know people in general. So that doesn't even necessarily need to be, uh, in this type of conversation. Like I would just, uh, you know, would like to just chat with you sometime and learn about who Aaron is, you know, how you yeah. got to where you are. <laughs> you did briefly tell me, uh, exactly how you got to this, uh, level of being this level of consciousness that you're at, at now the other night when we spoke, but you know, um, whereas right now, uh, 
I'll just be frank. Like when I, when I'm in this state where I, I speak truth, I, I, I immediately find a place where I have no desire. So mm. uh, I'm, I'm content with just being here awesome. with you and I don't really Amazing. have much of a, a burning desire to ask any question. There's not anything I really need to know right now. I, I feel as if I, I have everything I have, I have everything I want and need in this moment. So. <laughs> that's, that's, that's beautiful. That's perfect. I think it's a wonderful example of contentment. Mm. And so I would like to ask you about contentment and there's other words that I'll use to describe it because uh, earlier in the conversation, you referenced a state of being Mm -hmm. that is not numb to feeling and is not Mm -hmm. numb to experience, but rather is inclusive of it, but also has no desire, does not need to experience anything other than what is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a, that's a state that a lot of people are familiar with if they do any form of uh, meditation or if they're, you know, even going to a yoga class, you can get into that state. Oftentimes Mm -hmm. you'll be, you'll be kind of delivered to that state. Right. But, but what, what is that space in terms of how do you access it and what is it good for? (laughs) Okay. Uh, How do you access it and what is it good for? Okay. Um, the first, my gut response to how do you access it is to let go. And that means to let go of all, let go of all things, all desire, all fear, all, all conceptual ideas. Cause even when I'm in a state where I, I'm at peace you know, in meditation or something like that, and I don't have the desire to do anything I don't have the fear of anything up upcoming. Um, I often still, my mind might still, when it gets in that state, it, it's, it can be a really fruitful, creative space. So all kinds of beautiful ideas will occur to me. And then I'll kind of grab onto one and, and go with it and chase it and be like, Oh, what's this? Okay. That's a beautiful idea. What, what could I do with that? And then uh, I'll, I'll feel what it's like to have like an epiphany over and over. Like I'll get one and then I'm like, Oh, that was amazing. Uh, but I'll find that sometimes these ideas can be so beautiful or joyful that I'm like, Oh, that was so nice. I want more of that. <laughs> and then, and then I'll get to a point where I'm like, Oh, look at me. I, I, I'm wanting the idea even more. Like I'm want like, even though everything's great right now and I'm being served, like I'm like just downloading all these amazing concepts and ideas. um, I find myself getting so enamored with them that I I just want them to keep coming. So then when I recognize that tendency within myself, uh, another voice will come in and say, well, why do you even want ideas? Let's let go of concepts, let go of ideas, let go of form. Um, And that's one thing I, I always come back to it is the formlessness. That's, that's the idea of that space. It's the formlessness. You are not necessarily feeling your body in the sense that you're feeling your body as something separate, but you still have an awareness of your body, but you also have an awareness of all that is around you as well. Um, you are aware that you are part of the air. You are aware that you are part of the wood that builds your house. You are aware that you are part of, 
the atmosphere beyond that and then the space and the galaxies and everything that is. And that space is honestly like the best word probably to describe it right now is space. There's, there's no focal point. Okay. Uh, what we are is, is a point of awareness and we're always pointed on to something right now. My awareness is pointed on to my thoughts and my speech, but in that space, you let go of that focal point. Instead of pointing it at one direction, you just let it dissipate into all that is. And it's not like there's a, uh, an infinity of tiny little focal points going out and feeling all these things. It's just that when you let go of the focal point itself and you're not guiding your awareness into one point, it kind of just uh, relinquishes itself, falls back into the awareness of all because that's what it is like we as human beings we are gathering the infinite awareness and pointing it to one direction so by stop stopping the pointing and stopping the need for understanding the need for concepts ideas feelings um whatever it is when you drop all those necessities then you just fall back into the complete awareness of just being itself. And in that state of being is where you feel what is best described as peace or equanimity or contentment or fulfillment, even though all those words uh, have their own connotations and I would consider them lacking in some way. Um, because this experience truly is ineffable. Um, as a word I learned a few years ago, and I keep referring back to it because it, it, it just means something that cannot be described, cannot be put into words. So it's kind of like a contradictory word because it's a word that's describing something that isn't describable. So that is that space. That, how you access it is you, you let go of all. Uh, you realize that you are just love. And you are just being, and you are just, like I said, there's no word to describe what you actually are. It is just what is. So by relinquishing the need to focus on one point or even five points, like, you know, you can, you know, right now I'm aware of my body. I'm aware of my speech. I'm aware of the light that's coming in and showing and, and showing me the picture of you. You know, I'm aware of the sound in my ears. I'm, I'm aware of a lot of things right now. But when I practice meditation, I let go of all awareness. But in let going of all of focal awareness, I come back to the awareness of all that is at once as a whole. So uh, I guess that's the way to do it. Uh, that Well, yeah, because in order to feel that space, you, you can't be there and you can't know it fully if you are still focusing on certain things. You know, if you're still creating form, those things are form. They are energy in form. And by by making by birthing form, by giving genesis to form, you are uh, creating that separation. You are creating form is here, and here's the formless. But if you just fall into the formlessness, then that's when you feel that space of all things. Um, I'm trying to remember now what was the second part of that question? How to access it? it? And <clears throat> what is it good for? Oh. Mm. Well, right away, my mind says good is a relative term. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, if we were um, like, just to elaborate a little bit on that, uh, it is relative in the sense that 
it, it changes for everyone. It, it varies for everyone. What you consider good is obviously different than what somebody else considers good. So it matters about what you want, what you desire. So I'll speak from my perspective at first, and maybe maybe I could uh, think beyond that after. But my perspective is, is that um, I had this ability. You know, I, I rec- well, everyone has it, but I recognize that I have this ability that I can be in this space. I can be in the Godhead. I can be one with the all. Okay, uh, but rather than just leaving this physical body and being in that form, I recognize that all all roles serve a purpose. All roles are necessary. So I basically have chosen uh, to lead what is referred to in Buddhism or Hinduism. I always get these two mixed up as the Bodhisattva path. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. So it's essentially for those who don't know, it is somebody who has the capacity to attain nirvana, which is that state of being with all, uh, but they choose not to, maybe not not to, but they choose not to make it their priority uh, so they can guide others to that state as well. So that's the, that's the desire I have chosen. I have allowed myself to take on that desire to share what I know, share what I experience, so others uh, can get there as well. So we can leave alleviate the the suffering and uh, the cognitive dissonance and everything that causes us to believe in our separation and our lack. So that's the the path I've chosen. Uh, And even that word is debatable because there's everything's kind of paradoxical. We do choose these things, but at the same time, everything is natural and a consequence of natural laws. So this is kind of just happening to me as well. Um, But that being said, that is so for me, it's good because the more I spend time in that state, the more I feel at one with everything, the more I feel connected to everyone and everything, and the more I understand um, any concept I want to understand. And the more it, it, it just basically, on a physical level, it creates more har- harmony and balance in your mind and body and spirit. Um, okay, so when, when you neglect that state of being, when you neglect and reject the state of nothingness, then you are always attached to the somethingness. And by attaching yourself to the somethingness at all times, you are never going to be fulfilled with something. You're always going to be going from thing to thing to thing to thing until you realize one day that I'm never never happy no matter what. I've gotten everything I wanted. I'm still not happy. And then you'll start to consider the nothingness. So I guess in terms of what it's good for is that brings you back to an understanding of what you truly are. And when you understand what you truly are, that's what creates good and good in the terms of less pain, less suffering, uh, less confusion, less fear. Um, so that's what it would be good for, for me and for all, I suppose. The more we practice this state of being, the more we can all understand that we are part of the whole, the more we can all understand that we are not separate from each other. And although we are separate individuals in the sense that we live separate lives, uh, we can really cherish that more. Um, I, by recognizing that I was part of the whole, um, at first, it felt uh, not exactly what I had desired. Like, not it wasn't something that was positive to me in a sense because I just felt like there was no value to anything. So, um, but after that, I found that. The, the feeling of understanding that I was part of the whole made me really, truly appreciate myself. So now I feel more comfortable 
and confident in expressing exactly who I am rather than trying to alter who I am to please others. And it's funny how that works because the more I've done that, the more I've found confidence and clarity within myself and uh, confidence in expressing who I am, the more I actually have pleased others. Even though that's not my desire, I'm not trying to make anybody happy. It's not my, 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 my purpose is not to make, the, make other people happy. My purpose is to share what I know. And if it makes people happy as a result, then that is wonderful. But it's not, if I was focused only on making others happy, I might sacrifice myself in turn in order to do so. So that doesn't help me either because I recognize as I'm part of the whole, I have to treat myself as I would treat others. Uh, this whole idea of altruism that we're often given in our society is that you know you must sacrifice yourself to uh, please others. And I don't think that's productive. Now, I'm not necessarily saying across the scale because there's two different ways of looking at that. Like say if, um, you know, I'll just give an example. I was in the woods and I was with a friend and we encountered a wolf or something like that. And the wolf was going to attack us and my friend was paralyzed by fear. Then I, not having fear, would do my best to fight that wolf. So in a sense, there I would be sacrificing myself maybe if I died. But it's not that I'm doing it because I think less of myself. It's because I think of us as equal. And in that point, my friend isn't equipped to take on this situation, and I am. So it's my responsibility in that situation to do what's best for the whole. So I would take that risk rather than being like, you go fight them. And then my friend dies because they're terrified. Whereas I might have a fighting chance because I don't have the fear within me. So yeah, there is a, le- there's a different idea behind sacrificing yourself and destroying yourself on purpose and not treating yourself as others. Like in that scenario with the wolf, I'm still treating myself equally uh, as well as I'm treating my friend. Uh, There's no difference. It's not like, oh, I'm less than and my friend's better than me and my friend should live on and I shouldn't. So I'll sacrifice myself. That's the kind of mentality I want to kind of steer away from is a lot of people will like join the military or something because they think they're worthless. So they'll try to go and fight for their country mm. so they can maybe prove to themselves that they are worth something. But at the same time, they think that other people's lives are more valuable than theirs. But in truth, all of our lives are equally valuable. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much. You've got, you've shared a lot and a lot of wisdom and a lot of things to reflect on and a lot of, um, a lot of beautiful things. I, I think the way that you word things and the way that you let them come through you is very powerful. It's very clear. You're very aware of what you're speaking about. <clears throat> and it's coming from uh, an experienced state within your being. So mm. I appreciate your transmission. <laughs> mm. Mm. I appreciate you drawing it out of me because it's truly is a joy to do it. Uh, yeah. And thank you for everything you are and everything you do. Mm. Uh, it's, it's wonderful to connect with other people like yourself and uh, do this work together. Uh, you know, for a long time I've been doing this, not, I wouldn't say by myself, but not as connected as we are right now. And only in recent months have I been really reaching out and trying to connect to others who see things the way I do. Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciate you reaching out. I, uh, I think that's the only, one of the only ways that we will reconnect uh, very consciously, very clearly, very mm. creatively and intentionally is if the individual chooses to, mm. to initiate a connection. So exactly. I appreciate you in doing that. 
Mm-hmm. I appreciate you responding. Nothing but appreciation here. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nothing <laughs> but love and appreciation for all of this. It's awesome. awesome. Uh, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah.